just going to open some doors. Are you all right, Morning. Good, okay. And as Quincy said, a very warm welcome to you. If you are from Alpha, uh, I was there on Thursday night uh, getting to meet some people and it seemed like uh, everyone was having a good time. So this morning, we are continuing our series uh, from Genesis, looking uh, at Genesis 3. So you've joined us. We're partway through a series. I want to ask you a question. Do you ever feel fearful, guilty, shame, anger, blame other people for things that you know you're responsible for? Does anybody ever feel any of those? Good, there's me and one or two others. Well, this morning I'm going to try and tell you where that comes from. I'm going to try and show you the root of that and, uh, and actually what we can do about it. So if that's worth 35 minutes of your time, then uh, do listen up uh, to what we're going to share this morning. I'm going to read Genesis 3, the whole uh, chapter, and then we'll look at it together. It should come up on the screen behind me. And also, it's in the handout that I gave. So Genesis 3 said this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what's this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing. Sorry, Sophie. (laughs) Cover your ears at this point. I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Amen? Look on the positive. You will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you've listened to your wife and ate from the fruit, ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. 
Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Father, we pray that you would uh, open up our ears, open up our hearts, speak to us this morning through what your word says in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's start off by going through the passage, checking we understand what's happening, then we'll get into some specific points. So the context here is Adam and Eve. The first human beings have been created by God, placed in this beautiful garden called Eden. They had everything. They had plenty of food. They had this intimate relationship with God. They had nothing to worry about, nothing to be fearful about. The only thing that God has commanded them not to do is to eat from one specific tree. And as I said last week, that was really about giving them opportunity not to choose to love and obey him so that they could honestly choose to love and obey him and get to continue living in this idyllic state. And if you want to understand more about that, then go to the King's Church website, listen to the sermon from last week on Genesis 2, which kind of describes this wonderful existence that Adam and Eve had from creation up until this moment when it all goes wrong. And let's not make any bones about it, This is the moment of greatest tragedy for mankind. This is not just, oh dear, what a shame, they ate a bit of fruit they shouldn't. This is the most tragic moment in the history of mankind, start to finish. And it begins with this serpent speaking to Eve. And we know from the rest of the scripture that even though it's a snake, the snake's really just a puppet, this is the devil, this is Satan, who at the end of the Bible in the Revelation is described as being that ancient serpent. And Satan speaks and begins by saying to Eve, did God really say you can't eat from any tree? And she kind of gets it nearly right by answering, well, it's only one tree you can't eat from or will die. And Satan follows up by saying, you will not die. And then adding, not only would they not die, but actually when they ate, they would not only not die, but they would have their eyes open and they'd be like God. And so Eve, it says, seeing that the fruit looks good for food and good for gaining wisdom, good for gaining knowledge, it being the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, her seeing that, she eats some and she gives some to Adam and he eats some. And it's as soon as Adam eats that his eyes are open, their eyes are open, because God gave Adam the command before Eve was even created not to eat that fruit. And so their eyes are not open when Eve ate the fruit, their eyes were open when Adam ate the fruit. As soon as Adam ate the fruit, because he's the one who the command had been given to in the first place, their eyes are opened and it says they both realize they're naked. And so they try to cover themselves by sewing fig leaves together. Don't picture it, but it's funny. Really, when you think about it, when you think about it, it's funny, but don't think too long about it. But this is their best attempt to cover their naked bodies. And then they hear God walking in the garden that he's done to come and see them. And it says they're afraid and they hid. But God calls to them and faces them up before him, if you like. 
And it says they're afraid and God tells them, you've eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to. And Adam's reaction is, the woman that you gave me. And Eve's reaction is, the serpent, he deceived me. And then notice that God curses the serpent. The serpent. He curses Satan for what it's done. And he says there's going to be enmity between your offspring and the woman's offspring. And then notice that God doesn't curse the woman, but he does say two things are going to happen. Childbirth, which presumably before would have been painless, is now going to be painful. And your desire is going to be for your husband, but his desire is going to be he's going to rule over you. There is going to be a battle of the sexes, which we now understand, but which Adam and Eve knew nothing about up to this point is going to happen. There's going to be consequences. Then notice this. God doesn't curse the man. He, didn't cur- he cursed Satan. He didn't curse Eve, but he said there's going to be some consequences. He doesn't curse the man, but he curses the ground that the man has been given to look after. And actually, from now on, it's not going to be nice and easy to grow all this lovely stuff. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And second consequence, that actually, eventually, you are going to return back to dust like I made you from in the first place. You are dust, and then God breathed it. Actually, at the end, you are going to return back to dust. And then we see that Adam names Eve, mother of all, and God makes some clothes for them from animal skins, puts them outside of the garden, guards it in case they have the opportunity to reach out and eat from the other tree that they were commanded not to. So that's the kind of story, a story that we perhaps know well, perhaps we've heard versions of it, maybe at school, maybe at other things. Let's have a look, see what's happening. We're going to see what the devil does, we're going to see what Adam and Eve do, we're going to see what God does. Those are our three basic headings this morning. What the devil does, what Adam and Eve do, what God does. So the first thing to see is, what is the devil doing? And I think he goes for a three-pronged attack, which is basically, don't trust God, don't obey God, and don't believe that the consequences that God says are going to come about. So firstly, really, don't trust God. You can hear it in the serpent's voice. Did God really say? Really? Really? Did he really say? He's tempting Eve to doubt that Almighty God, who is truth and only ever speaks the truth, is is really not speaking the truth here. It's okay not to fully trust, not to fully believe it. He's tempting Eve to mistrust, to distrust what God says. Did he really say, really, really, did he, really? That's what you kind of hear, you know, what's going on here. And then second one, the second prong is, don't obey God. You don't need to obey what God commands. You will not. He says, you will not. She says, God says this. He says, you will not. This kind of outright, you don't have to obey what God commands. You can ignore him. Because basically you're free to choose whether you believe him or not, you're kind of then free as well whether you want to obey it for yourselves. And then thirdly, and you don't really have to believe the consequences. Rather than the consequences being what God says, which is you will die, which seems bad, Satan actually says the consequences will be that you are like God. Don't you want to be like God, Eve? 
Don't you imagine being what God is like? You'll know everything. He's holding out on you. You can't trust him. You don't have to obey him. The consequences are not going to be what he says. They're going to be, it sounds bad. You're going to die. No, no, it's going to be so much better. You're going to be like God. And so we see what Satan is doing is tempting mankind to rebellion, to rebel against the God who created them by not trusting what he says, not doing what he commands. You don't have to trust him. You don't have to obey him. The consequences won't be bad. The consequences will be good. You won't die. You'll become like God. That's the lie that Satan told Adam and Eve. And they chose to believe Satan rather than God. Even though God had loved them, had created them, had never lied to them, had created this beautiful place for them, they choose in this moment to believe Satan rather than believe God. They choose to believe not what God said to do, not what God commanded to do, not that the consequences would be what God said. And that is really what God defines as sin. Sin is not trusting what God says, either about who he is or who we are. Sin is about not obeying what he commands, that I don't need to do what God says and I can happily do without consequence what God says I mustn't do. And then thirdly, not believing that actually there are consequences to not trusting God, not obeying God. The third thing is that I don't need to believe that what God says the consequences will be, will really be the consequences. So what do we learn from this? We learn that Satan is a deceiver. He's a liar. He lies to people in order to get them to distrust what God says, to disobey what God commands, to believe that the consequences won't be as God states. Let me tell you, Satan was like this then, and he's still like it now. And he's still telling people like you and me the same lies. And when people follow Satan's lies, they don't become more like God. We become rebels to God. Exactly the same with Adam and Eve. You see, God didn't create sin. The devil didn't create sin. Sin entered the world when mankind, men and women, Adam and Eve, chose not to trust God, not to obey God, as Satan dangled the carrot of, you can become like God, in front of their eyes. They should have stood on what God had said. They should have told Satan to get on his bike, crawl on his belly, get away. They should have done what we see Jesus doing years later when he's tempted, quoting back to Satan the scripture. No, 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 God says this and I'm going to believe it. God says this, I'm going to believe it. God says this, I'm going to believe it. Now get gone, Satan, and Satan has to go. That's what they should have done. But they didn't. However, you know, because God doesn't lie, and because God said there are going to be consequences to sinning against him, they did die. They didn't physically stop breathing and die there and then, but God told Adam, you are going to physically die. That was never part of the original plan. You are going to return back to dust. Physically, Adam, you're not going to die right now, but you are going to die one day. And then secondly, in terms of spiritually, in terms of their intimate relationship that they'd enjoyed with God up to that point, that was going to die instantly. That was going to be stopped. They are going to be separated from God physically and they would die one day. 
and the spiritual intimacy that they'd enjoyed with God, that is going to die and end right there as they're put outside of the garden. That's what the devil was doing. That's what the devil still does today. Until Jesus comes back, that is what the devil is going to do. And we shouldn't be unaware of his schemes. And we see it here as he tempted first Adam and Eve. So let's see what happened with Adam and Eve. Let's go through some of these consequences of sin, which get immediately displayed. There are other consequences to sin, like sickness comes into the world and other things. But I just want to focus on what we see is immediately visible. The first one is guilt. See, it says their eyes, the eyes of both of them were opened. And really, the key is not physically. It wasn't like before they were walking around in darkness, you know, like that. It's talking here about spiritually. Stuff is going on physically that is really mirroring what's going on inside of them. And so they saw, and what they saw was their sin. They saw their disbelief of God. They saw how they had disobeyed God. That's what they saw, and it made them feel guilty because they suddenly saw that they had done wrong to God, and they felt guilty about it. And the next thing instantly that comes in, remember, before this point, Adam and Eve had never felt any of this. This is new to them. This is brand new to them. Straight away, they feel shame, and they realize they were naked. You see, having realized that they're guilty, that now causes them to feel ashamed, to feel shame. Again, physically, they realize they're naked, but it's really about what's going on on the inside because they now know that God can see their guilt. This isn't about them being embarrassed like a couple of school kids because they got no clothes on. This is mirroring what's going on physically, what's going on spiritually. They feel ashamed. They feel ashamed because of the wrong thing that they've done. You see, guilt is about doing something wrong, but shame is much deeper. It's about feeling wrong, feeling Guilty, feeling dirty because of what you've done. They immediately feel that. And that leads to the third thing, fear. Adam says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, because he felt shame, because he'd been guilty, so I hid. This feeling of guilt and shame resulting from their sin now causes them to be afraid of God. And so the Bible says they hide. Now listen, never play hide and seek with God. Never. It doesn't matter where you try and hide. He's going to find you. But here they are in the confines of a garden. But their plan is to try and hide. But you see, fear causes rational people to do crazy things. And this is a crazy thing. Because the one who's loved them, created them, has shown them nothing but good, is now one to hide from because they don't want to face up to the sin that they've done. Do you see that? They don't want to face up to the sin that they've done, and so their answer is to try and hide from God. Fear is such a powerful driver in our lives. But you know, the root of fear is that we don't want to face up to God and the situation as things are. What we've done, we feel ashamed, and so we hide, we try and avoid him. I think, you know, many people who are not Christians, they try to rationalize why they don't seek after God. But I think one of the big reasons is because they know they feel guilty and ashamed of the things they've done and how they've lived. 
and they are worried about what is God going to do when I stand before him. They're not afraid of not finding God, they're afraid of finding God and what's he going to say. If that's you this morning, I want you to know that Adam and Eve were in the same boat, but that their solution can be your solution. The next thing we kind of see is, is really, I suppose, anger coming out. In this translation, it says that Adam says, the woman. In other translations, it says, that woman. I think that woman is better. That, that woman, that woman you gave me. I think that's how he's, that woman you gave me. That's, that's the sense I get from Adam. Even though Adam's afraid and he's hiding Once God had found him, his reaction under questioning seems to come from this place of defensiveness, of anger, and not anger at his own terrible choice. Having had his eyes open and feeling guilty and ashamed and hiding, you would have thought Adam's reaction before God would have been that he was sorry. He would have been humble. He would have been repentant. But none of it. Adam comes out fighting. He comes out justifying himself. He comes out on the offensive. Hey, come on, God, hey, that woman you put here. Come on, I'm ready. Ten rounds. He's hiding a minute ago from God. But faced up in front of God, what does he do? Oh, I'm so sorry. Look, no, no, no. I'm going to have a go. Why? It's just crazy stuff. And in that anger, Adam firstly blames the woman. It's her fault. Right? Like his answer is, well, if, if she hadn't have given it to me, I wouldn't have eaten. That's his answer. That's his logic. If, if she hadn't have given it to me, I wouldn't have eaten. Yeah, but God told you not to eat. Yeah, but if she hadn't have given it to me, I wouldn't have eaten. That's the kind of logic that he comes out with. And then, funny enough, last chapter we see, when, when, when Eve, you know, God takes a rib, makes Eve, oh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Oh, wow. Oh, lovely. Look at that. Look at that, how lovely. Now, that woman. This is, this, is, this is where he's up to. And then, as if wasn't, blaming Eve wasn't bad enough, Adam decides to have a pop at God. That woman, you put here. It's her fault, it's your fault. You put her here, God. What I find amazing here, the length that Adam will go to justify and deny and blame shift. Urgh. For the wrong that he's done, rather than just admit it. Even though Adam knows he's wrong. God knows Adam knows he's wrong. Eve knows he's wrong. Even the snake knows he's wrong. And yet the length that Adam's going to go to, to avoid owning up, is just staggering. But that is what we humans are capable of doing, unfortunately. So we see these four immediate consequences of sin, guilt, shame, fear, and anger that come into the world, come into the experience, the heart of men and women, Adam and Eve, the first of mankind, when they didn't trust God, when they didn't do what God commanded. Satan attempted them that the consequence would be that they would be like God. Well, this doesn't look much like God to me. These things that they're now displaying doesn't look much like God. God promised death, separation from him. And these things sound a lot like separation from God, spiritually speaking. And then physically God removes them from the garden, from where he is, from where his presence is. You see, what Satan said the consequence of sin would be didn't happen, but what God said the consequence of sin would be did happen. That's because God always tells the truth and because Satan always tells lies. 
God always tells the truth. Satan always tells lies. So what does God do? Now faced with this, put yourself in God's shoes. What's God going to do? They say that it's only when people are under extreme trial or pressure that their true character or their true nature is displayed. Well, let's see how God reacts to his creation, Adam and Eve, who he has created and loved and provided for, now rebel against him, now choose not to trust him, now choose not to obey him. I think if I was God, I would have start over again. I would have literally said to Adam and Eve, that's it. I'm going to give you what you deserved. I told you what would happen. All you had to do was not eat one fruit and you ate it. You, you rebelled against me, so I'm going to do what I said to you and let's start again. You couldn't have called God unfair or unjust for doing that. And yet as Adam and Eve stand there naked and ashamed before God, clearly wrong and guilty, right? Wrong and guilty, but angrily justifying themselves in front of God, even in this moment. God, it says, makes some clothes and covered their nakedness. And I don't believe that an animal was just trotting by and happened to die, and God kind of took it and made them a leather jacket. I think God took one of his animals that he'd created and he killed it and he made some clothes to cover their nakedness and their shame. See, I believe right here in the garden, at this moment, at the moment of rebellion and sin by mankind, God began his great plan of redemption. Right here, God began, God knew, God had it in his mind, in his heart, in his plans to find a way to restore and forgive Adam and Eve and their descendants, you and me. And God the Father knew it was going to involve sending his son Jesus to come and to live as a man and to do no sin, which was what Adam and Eve never managed to do, and then to die on the cross to take the punishment for what they had done. And then anyone who puts their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, they are going to be covered or they're going to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So a couple of verses I put in your notes Isaiah 61 says, I delight greatly in the Lord, my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. And in Galatians it says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. In other words... You and I come before God, we are guilty and we're ashamed because of the things we've done wrong, the times we've not trusted him, we've not obeyed him. And so like Adam and Eve, we are in that sense naked before him because he knows that. This picture of them standing naked before him is just a picture of what's going on spiritually inside of them. And if we're honest, we would all stand before God naked in that sense with the things that we have done wrong and said wrong and thought wrong. And we might try and blame others or blame God or blame circumstances like they did, but we know deep down we've chosen to sin. We've chosen to rebel against God. We've chosen not to trust Him, not to obey Him. Like them, we're guilty. We're afraid. We deserve punishment. But God, you see, 
because of his great love for us, does not treat us as our sin deserves. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't make us stand there naked and ashamed and in fear. Just like with Adam and Eve, he acts. God acts. God does something. God does something to deal with the problem of our sin. For them, he's going to sacrifice this animal and he's going to make clothes to cover their shame because God knows that a number of years later, he's going to send his precious son, Jesus, and he's going to sacrifice him so that we can be covered and, our right- and have his righteousness given to us that we might put it around us like a robe. Do you understand? God didn't just do that. Oh, you're naked. I'll make you some clothes. That's nice. I wonder what I'm going to do now. As Adam and Eve stood there, in God, even though they're guilty, God, I'm going to send my son. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make him lead the righteous life. And I'm going to clothe people that put their trust in him with his righteousness. And because I'm going to do that then, I'm going to do it now. This is a picture of that. Right here in the garden. This is a picture. That's why God did it. That's why the New Testament writers use the same kind of language. You'll be clothed in his righteousness. Because God had it in his heart right there. As Adam and Eve were clothed with the sacrifice of this animal, so we're clothed by the sacrifices of his son. And so our sin and shame and guilt and fear are dealt with. Not because of anything that we did. Adam and Eve are there having been guilty, ashamed, and sticking two fingers up at God, and God clothes them. God deals with the problem. And actually, it's the same with us. God says, no, I am going to deal with the problem of sin. Mankind, I'm going to deal with the problem that you've now caused. I'm going to send my son. He's going to live a perfect life. If you put your faith in him, his perfect life will be credited to you, and it will be like a robe of righteousness that you can wear. And when I look upon you, I won't see your sin, your nakedness, your shame, your guilt, your fear, your disobedience, your disbelief. I won't see that. What I'm going to see is my son's perfect life. That's what God says. God's plan of redemption, reconciliation, begins the moment mankind sin. Not because he had to. Who was going to force God to do this? No one. Not because he had to. Not because there was anything wrong with what God had created. God hadn't created anything wrong. Mankind whom God had created made wrong choices. Not without cost. Not without cost. God knows that this is going to cost him putting his son on the cross and then punishing him for the sin of the world. On the cross, when Jesus cried out, it's finished, we sang it this morning. Jesus wasn't referring primarily to the length of time he had to endure on the cross, which is what I think many people think. He's referring to the fact that God's righteous anger for the sin that people commit has now been paid for. It is finished. God's righteous anger has been poured out on Jesus to the extent that any man, woman, or child who will put their faith in Jesus can be forgiven because the price has been paid. Let me just say a couple of things to finish. You know, if you're a Christian here, then we can choose to trust and obey God. But it means that we are going to have to choose to ignore the lies of the devil. We are going to have to choose to believe that what God says is true. And we're going to have to do as God commands. We're going to have to believe that the consequence of that, both good and bad, are true as God says. We're going to have to learn 
to ignore the lies of the devil. And we're going to have to learn to trust in the Holy Spirit. I loved Claire's testimony earlier. When she got to herself, she didn't give up, but she threw herself on God. And then what God does is he doesn't say, oh, Claire, rubbish, useless, da-da. He says, that's cool. Now I can use you by my Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to give you my strength and my power. Look what I'm going to do. Look how I'm going to use you. See, I figure that if God put the Holy Spirit in me and that same Holy Spirit raised Christ from the dead, then the Holy Spirit can enable me to stay on the straight and narrow, as it were. We, if you're a Christian here, we can, we're called to, we're equipped to overcome temptation and sin. And overcoming temptation and sin is by far the best option. We should pursue it with all our hearts. We should encourage one another to pursue it. But you know, if we have sinned, and we can often tell when we've sinned because we begin to see some of the signs of sin. We begin to see some fear, some guilt, some shame, some anger, some blaming other people, some blaming God. We see it in our own lives. Then can I say, let's not be like our forefathers and try and hide from God or try and defend ourselves. Let's admit what we've done. Because guess what? God knows what we've done. God knows what we've done. He knew what Adam and Eve had done. He knows what we've done. Let's ask his forgiveness. Because we will receive God's forgiveness. Because if we weren't going to receive God's forgiveness, he wouldn't have needed to put his son on the cross. Do you, do you get that? You see, when God forgives, it's not just God thinks, well, I'm in a good mood, I'll forgive. The price God had to pay to forgive Dale Barlow for his sins was that he had to put Jesus on the cross. If God's not going to forgive Dale Barlow's sins, my sins, why would he put his son on the cross? Makes no sense, does it? It doesn't make any sense to me. Why would God put his son on the cross if, in order to forgive sins of men and women if then he's not going to forgive the sins of men and women when they come to him and say, God, I'm sorry. So if we've sinned and done wrong, why don't we admit it? Because God knows it. Why don't we say, God, will you forgive me? Because we know he's going to forgive us because of what Jesus did. And then why don't we ask for his help? Because again, we know we're going to get it, because otherwise, why place his Holy Spirit inside of us? What's the point of God putting his Holy Spirit inside of us if he's not going to help us to overcome sin? Seems simple to me. Martin Luther, uh, Martin Luther said, all sin is rooted in unbelief. We don't trust God, can and will handle our lives fairly and well. We think we can do a better job if we take matters into our own hands, as per Adam and Eve. So we're always on the edge, tottering between resting in God's gracious purposes and relying on ourselves to plan and pursue our own prospects. Let me just say, if you're not a Christian, then please know that you are in the same boat as Adam and Eve. You have sinned, you have rebelled, and that has separated you from God. But just like God did not turn them away, he will not turn you away. In fact, he makes you an offer to admit your sin and to place your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Firstly, that he paid the price for your sin on the cross. And secondly, that now he is to become your Lord and Savior, the king whom from this day forward is seated on the throne of your life. He makes you an offer, but he does not force you to accept it. The Bible says we can either choose life or death. 
We can either choose a relationship with God, like Adam and Eve had before the fall. We can either have that, or we can have death. We can have separation from God now and through eternity. I think if Adam and Eve could have their time again, they would go back and they would choose a different path. They would have chosen God. My encouragement to you, if you're not a Christian here this morning, is to choose God. He makes you this offer. He says, I have provided everything that you need to be forgiven, to be restored, to have a relationship with me. It's all there. My son did it all on the cross. It's finished. It's there, available, waiting for you. But I won't force you. I won't demand it of you. Adam and Eve got a choice, and they chose wrongly to love me. They had a choice to love me and to obey me, and they didn't. And I give you the same choice. You can choose to love me and obey me. And if you do, then I will come and I'll have a relationship with you. I wonder whether I could just ask us to close our, our eyes and bow our heads. I just want to pray. I just want to give anybody who's here who's not a Christian an opportunity right now to give their lives to Jesus. So I'd ask you just to bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm just going to pray a prayer. And if you're not a Christian here, but you, you want to give your life to Jesus, then I want to ask you to pray this prayer in your heart after me. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the things that I have done wrong. I'm sorry for the fact that I haven't trusted you, that I haven't obeyed your commands, that I didn't believe the consequences would be separation from you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that you suffered and paid the penalty that I should have paid. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you shed your blood that I could be forgiven. And now, Lord Jesus, please come and be the king of my life. Come and be my Lord and Savior. Please come and fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might know your love and your intimacy and your fatherhood in my life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.